a coaching clinic that you can carry around with you inside of your pocket. I am really excited for episode 11 here today. Really excited for our guest. Uh, great perspectives. Uh, a, a tremendous friend and mentor to me for 25 years now and, and just truly blessed to have him in my life. Uh, but before we get to that, we've got to go through the stuff we usually go through. First and foremost, we want to thank our sponsor. Without them, this wouldn't be possible. COSAC Chiropractic here in Omaha, located at 14450 Eagle Run Drive. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at COSAC Chiro, that's K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com, or give them a call at 402-964-0300. So be sure to tell them that a pen and a napkin recommended COSAC Chiropractic. Also, follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Uh, we have daily coaching tidbits. Kind of figured some stuff out there uh, the last couple of days. Kind of figured out a rhythm on the coaching tidbits other than the random stuff that kind of comes up. So, um, But uh, check us out at a pen and a napkin and follow us on Twitter. Uh, obviously, if you're listening to this, you either have SoundCloud or iTunes. Uh, if you have one or both, subscribe, like, give us five stars on the iTunes so we can move up the charts here uh, so we can help as many coaches as we can. If you have any questions uh, or if you have any suggestions, email us at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. That's all one word, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Uh, would love to hear from folks. Uh, I've had a few people uh, get in contact with me via that route and, um, you know, just want to help as many people out as we can here. So one of the we, we are going to do something a little bit different here before we get going uh, with guest number 11. Very few people that I can think of. Uh, I feel like I'm back and I'm, I'm 10 years old and I'm watching WWE or now then WWF wrestling. And the coolest thing was when Hulk Hogan came out with his theme music. And so for this week's guest, we definitely have a theme song ready to go. Love is a burning thing. And the crowd goes wild. And the crowd goes wild. How'd you like that, Mike? Loved it. That, was that good? Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> only you, Marty. Oh, only me. Only me. Uh, I am so lucky, like I said, uh, to have this guy in my life. Uh, 25, 26 years ago, the basketball gods kind of brought us together. Uh, most of my basketball career I owe to this man. Uh, Mike Power from Briarcliff University. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing good. Good, good. Uh, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Um, just going to go through uh, Mike's resume here real quick. Uh, 32 years overall as a head coach. Uh, kind of means you're old, Mike. <laughs> yes, I am, Marty. <laughs> Uh, Briarcliff University for most of that time period. Uh, started out in Nebraska Westland, Metro State, uh, Bemidji State, and Southwest Minnesota State University along the way as well. And one glorious year as the leader of the Swedes of Gothenburg High School. Uh, overall uh, wins and losses, record of 483 wins, 
and 441 losses. That's crazy, Mike, that you've coached in almost 1,000 games. I know, and it feels like it, too. <laughs> uh, eight uh, national tournament appearances and three Final Fours. Uh, just a tremendous, tremendous career. Um, you know, so uh, Mike is, has been at how, – how many – of all that together, Mike, how many total years has it been at Barracliffe? Uh, this is my 20th. This 20th altogether. All right. The big yeah, 2 all together, yep. All right. Okay. Well, we're going to go through some stuff here with, with Mike. Um, go through uh, some things that is maybe familiar to some, maybe unfamiliar to others. Uh, but I know there's a, a ton of knowledge that we're going to have a chance to get through here today. Um, Mike, just for the, for the folks that, uh, that don't uh, know you as well, uh, just kind of go into your basketball background, where you came from, uh, so forth and so on. Okay. Well, first, first and foremost, I appreciate you having me come on. And um, <laughs> if you're if you're saying I'm your mentor, I feel bad for you, Marty. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what you might not be learning a whole lot then for me. But um, no, I started. Uh, um, you know, my career started back in I don't know eighty six, I think eighty five, eighty six, when I started coaching. Um, Junior, junior varsity basketball for Don Kelly at Pius High School there in mm-hmm. Lincoln. And I did that more because Don was my high school coach up to my sophomore year. And then he retired from coaching boys basketball. And I think he did that at that point, 25 years of boys basketball. Won a state championship there at Pius. Um, and then he went into retirement. Um, and then when I came back from um, playing college basketball, up at Chapman State, I was just a student at University of Nebraska Lincoln, and he asked me if I would help out, um, basically take over his summer team at the YMCA. There, they had the summer league back then, and he was going on a fishing trip for two weeks. And he said, "Hey, I'd like you to come over and just run my team for me while I'm going fishing for these couple of weeks." And I said, "Okay," you know, I did it. I kind of enjoyed it. It was fun. I had three sisters run the team, and. Um, then he asked me if I'd like to do that, you know, like full time with him that coming that fall because he was kind of out of retirement to take over the girls program. And I said, mm, I don't know if I want to coach girls and I don't know if I want to coach my sisters, you know. Yeah. So um, he said, no, let's try it. I did it. Um, and then here, 32, I mean, how many years later? That's more than that. 36 years later, whatever it is, I'm still doing it. So. Um, it was kind of a weird situation how I kind of just fell into it a little bit. And, um, you know, especially after doing three years as his assistant at Pius and watching what he did, taking over a one in 19 program back to back years, they were, and he turned around and, and within three years was, we were playing in a state championship game and lost to Ord, I believe that year. The Chanticleers, and, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. That was incredible. It was an incredible run to get to that point. And then, you know, he did a fantastic job. And then I got lucky right out. After I got my degree, I, I got the head coaching job at Nebraska Wesleyan uh-huh. at 23 years old. I had three girls on my team actually older than me that, that I took <laughs> over. So, um, you know, then it's been all these years later. It's I kind of look back and, you know, it was uh, been a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of memories. A lot of kids, you know, you think about it, 32 years, there's a lot of players that you've, you've coached over these years. And 
at different places and stuff. So it's always it's always fun. I think that's the greatest part about what we do uh-huh. is how we can shape young people's lives and how you're involved with them now as adults later in life. And, and you know, they still call sometimes or text you or whatever and, and for advice and stuff. Or it, it's it's a it's a neat ex, neat experience. Yeah, you're you're uh, you had never told me the story that whole story with with you and Don. And that sounds eerily familiar. How you hired me, you know, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, that's true. You know, um, just kind of the kind of the same. You know, you were kind of testing me out. I think for a few weeks, and then you were like, "Yeah, you want to do this?" And I, I had the same exact thought that you did. It was like, "Well, I'm going to coach guys," and you know. But then I kind of thought about, well, I could wash, you know, uniforms, or I could actually get some experience firsthand coaching, you know, and, you know, right. you know, one of the best, one of the best professional decisions I've ever made, you know. And you know what, and, and Marty, though, back in those days, you know, having you on staff and having Coach Sale on staff, I think that was probably, to this day, was the, was some very magical, some of the best times well, I can tell you this. I've never laughed so hard in, in, in those years um, having you guys as assistant coaches. You guys kept things light, and it was it was just it was so much fun. And I think it's also there was a lot of first experiences, you know, that you ever had when yeah. we first time we ever went to the national tournament in the school of history, and you know that was you know that was incredible. That was a yeah. lot of fun. I still think about that every now and then. You know, it's, that was that was like the high point. You know, I know Coach Sale went on and won national championships and stuff like that, but yeah, um, you know, I haven't had that opportunity. But even getting to the Final Four, I thought that was really neat and stuff like that. But I, st- I still say that us getting to that national tournament that first time ever was kind of really a experience that has never really left me. Well, and 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 not only did we get to the national tournament, but then we had success. You know, which yeah. then which then led to more success with a couple of players transferring in because of the success that we had had the year before, you know, and, and we got, we got the right matchup at the right time. And, and, you know, we kind of caught a little bit of lightning in the bottle, but we kind of earned catching that lightning in the bottle as well too, you know, so it all just kind of fell into place, you know? Um, and, and that's kind of the, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, you've, you've, you've been at Briar Cliff the longest, and that's definitely what you're most known for is being at Briar Cliff. Uh, but you're at Westland, you were yeah, a couple other places and you know you 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 had a winning record at Bemidji State, which is saying something. You know, so you have you have rebuilt programs over and over again, and and you saw Don do it at Pius. Um, other than the obvious, which is get better players, you know, and that's just the, the simplest. I mean, you know, you know, it's it's it's, it's You're right. You know, um, it's the simplest thing: get better players. You know, I, I remember when I came and talked to your coaching basketball class and you know i told the kids all right here's the most important thing you could do as a coach when when it comes to wins and losses and all the kids get their pens out and they're like here's the secret girls here kids here's the secret here's the secret you know and i built this whole thing up for like 45 seconds they're ready ready to go i'm like get really good players and they looked at me like oh god you know but but other than having really good players what are two or three things that you think are important in the quote unquote rebuilding process? Well, you know, that's a, that's, that's a good question because, you know, I think 
part of it is, as you said, first of all, you know, getting better players and all that. But I think it's also establish, establishing a type of culture that you expect and demand, I guess, and that you think is going to be the winning path. And I think that's the hardest part, I think, whether you're a high school coach or a college coach, is, you know, sometimes you have this idea of this is what you think is going to work and how you want to go about it. But um, sometimes when you get into it, I think the thing you have to be able to do is be a little bit flexible, you know, and, and be able to change if you realize right away that it's not, that's not the path. You know, yeah. you, you got to try, try something different. Mm-hmm. And I think where people get caught up sometimes is they think they are, they are on the right path. And maybe it's out of being stubbornness or whatever. They just keep doing the same thing over and over and keep getting the same results as, you know, the insanity. Yep. Um, you know, but I think if you're willing to adapt a little bit sometimes, because, you know, in college, we're a little bit different than high school coaches in the sense that we get to go and recruit players. Mm-hmm. You know, in high school, you're kind of in that situation where it's, you know, here comes the next freshman class coming in from the eighth grade. And this is what we're going to have to work with in the next four, three, four years. You know, um, I think that's the, the, I think that's one of the big things is you got to be able to adapt. And I, I think you have to be able to adapt even at the college level. Um, to whatever it may ha- you may have, um, and then, like I said, as far as the culture has to has to develop. You know, it's, it's a little bit harder nowadays, I think, than it used to be in the sense that it's that um, sticking to what you think is right um, and how you keep it. Uh, as far as what I mean by that is, you know, okay, responsibility. There's one. You know, you're going to always be on time. And, you know, you have taken over programs where, you know, you can kind of see what was left from behind, you know, and you see, you know, lack of discipline, lack of how we do things, uh, you know, eight o'clock sometimes and some kids, they would think it was eight, eight oh five or eight oh six, you know, and it's eight o'clock means seven forty five. I live in the Vince Lombardi era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that is, you're always going to be fifteen minutes early. And, and you were you were high school classmates with him, weren't you? <laughs> oh, close. You know, <laughs> not that old. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. You 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 were a, you were just a server, at an altar boy at his wedding. You know, so. <laughs> no, it was it was. Uh, I think that's important. Yeah, I mean, the culture. But uh, and then I also think that you know the one other thing that I think some people get really caught up into is style play is important um, both ways. And then I think the biggest thing is I think for all this, isn't it true for everybody, no matter what level you're coaching at, is the sell job to your team. Yeah. How do you do sure that? They buy, make sure they buy into what you're doing because you know I think it's getting harder and harder nowadays because of the social media and everybody, I think everybody has their opinions. And I think um, the one thing I noticed with this generation of kids is you got to give them, unlike it used to be where I felt like um, kind of a dictatorship when it came to coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how we're going to do whatever. Sometimes it still can be that way, but, it, but I find myself at least I'm fighting more and more with this generation. And, you know, my kids, my own kids are this generation is you got to give them a little bit of a voice and let them hear them a little bit more, um, listen to what to say, but you're still going to do it the way you think is right, but at least make them feel like they're being heard. Yeah. Do you, uh, 
what are what are some things that you do within your program to give your players a voice, but you also maintain your control over it? Like, what would be some examples of that that you do? Well, here's a, here's a small example. One thing we do is um, every Monday, Tuesday, we do small groups uh, meetings, and meeting that, for example, um, three o'clock on a Monday, I'll, I'll meet with the post players for a half an hour and then maybe from three thirty to four, I'll meet with the, the point guards and we just sit in a room and we just sit down and it's a, you know, on a table that's a round table that, you know, it's, it's you know, close to each other. We're you know, across the table from each other and, and, um, we just talk and mm-hmm. sometimes it's about football. Yes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not, sometimes it's just life. But when we do talk about football, let's say we just got done playing, you know, that Friday, Saturday or whatever game, and it's Monday, we're talking, and we just say, hey, you know, what you learned from this you know, game? Give me one good thing that you learned from this and, you know, one bad thing and, and go around the table. And it's really interesting to hear their, their take on it because, you know, we as coaches, we have our own take by watching film or whatever, and we say, okay, this is, you know, this and that. And it's interesting to hear from a player's perspective of what, what they took from it, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I think that helps because then, you know, they get that feedback from going back and forth and it's instant and you know maybe they might have something that you never looked at never thought about and you might get something internally that you know let's say it's just a pure lack of confidence um maybe trying to do something that you think well this should be working and why is it working and you find out the kids just you know just don't have the confidence in what they're trying to get done there you know yeah Yeah. okay yeah that's good um like you said you were you were a head coach at 23 and even if you were a high school head coach at 23 that would be difficult but you were a college head coach at the age of 23 um what and and not just then at age 23 but maybe your first six or seven years let's say um what what were some of the hardest lessons you had to learn as a young coach well humility (laughs) i mean I think that was one of the first things that just, um, I think, you know, 23, taking over your own new program and think you're going to light the world on fire, you know, feeling like, hey, these are things that, you know, especially me and I think most most coaches, I, I was fortunate in the fact that I, I was only assistant coach for one person, one person only, and that was Don Kelly for those three years at high school Pius. And, you know, you sit there on the bench and you formulate your own kind of philosophy ideas and you steal stuff or whatever, but, you know, now it's yours and you're thinking, okay, you know, I know what I'm going to do here. And you get into it. And when I told uh, Jerry Schmutty, who was the AD at the time at, at Nebraska Wesley. That guy, God dang Jerry Schmutty, Mike. I tell you, I tell you, Mike. <laughs> Yeah, you remember Schmuddy. Oh, you, 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 you doggone know I do, Mike. <laughs> and Jerry was, uh, you know, I told Jerry, I said, hey, I, I won four, they won four games a year before I came. And I said, hey, I, I can guarantee you we're going to win five. We're going to win at least five. I mean, come on, we're going to be one game better at least. So, you know, I tell you what, we won our fifth game on the very last game of the year. And <laughs> he, he 
he's across after the game's over with him, he, you know, puts five up and everybody thought he was waving at me. And truth was, he was just letting me know that, hey, you, you accomplished <laughs> You told me five and you got five. So um, that year really brought me to realize really quickly, um, no matter what you think you can do as a coach, no matter what you do, it, it comes down to talent. And we just didn't have a whole lot of talent. And so when I talk about humility, I mean, there was a lot of games where we just got annihilated. And I remember Gene Steinmeier, that don't at the time, he had a great program there. And he came in and just, I don't know, beat us by 40 or whatever it was. I can't remember. We had Trudy Band here. Oh, they were they were good. Yeah. And I remember talking to him afterwards, and he said, hey, he says, don't get too down on yourself. you got to remember that he pointed up to you as a shot clock. He says, that's the great equalizer in our game at the college level. You know, you can't, in high school, you can go take the air out of it and with no shot clock, and you can find ways when you have least talent. But when you don't have the talent with that shot clock, you know, you're in trouble. So I learned that really quick. That first year was like, you know, it's all about you got to get some talent, got to get some kids who can play. Otherwise, it can have miserable years like this year in and year out. So mm-hmm. I remember that very that was one of the things that really hit me but i think the other part is, is that you gotta be a you gotta have your administration you know i think most people out there back you on there because there were some internal things that happened to me that um i guess i wasn't really prepared for i guess I was prepared for but i thought it you know when you think you are but then when you actually get in that situation you're like oh okay and that was those situations where kids violated team rules and I wrote it all down, you know, I, I thought I'd have this big list of if you do this, this is what's going to happen, you do this, this is what's going to happen, and all this type of thing. Well, one thing I learned really quick after that year was over with some really difficult situations that happened as a young coach. I talked to Coach Schmuddy, and Schmuddy said to me, you know, if you learned one thing after this year, he said, just never put your rules down in black and white, you know, like is, this is definitely this you know you break this rule for sure this is what's going to happen because every situation that comes across is a little bit different than one before even though it's the same violation it could be a little bit gray there and um i i agree i agree with that 100 because of, i got into some really weird situations because of what i put down on paper so i went from that point on the rest of my career i just said hey you know if you violate this rule it'll be dealt by a case-by-case situation. So yeah. that way I leave myself some room to not just be locking myself into, okay, two-game suspension or, you know, all these things that I, I kind of put myself into a, into sometimes into a box that wasn't the right situation. Yeah. So I kind of, that's one thing I really learned that year was um, some of the stuff, you know, you got to have some flexibility. Yeah. You, you were almost too organized in that regard. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 When when you started, you know, you got it going at at Westland, and then you then you went up to Briarcliff, and it was a it was a rebuild job, and then, you know, we started having success. Um, did you learn some lessons while having success? Yeah. Oh yeah. I definitely think there was some. You know. Yeah, there was there was some definitely. Um, Things where you walked away, you know, they're one of the things that that to this day kind of carries me when it comes to scheduling. And when you got, you know, I, I know it doesn't really pertain to sometimes the high school situations. I know some mm-hmm. places, the 80s, um, 
schedule your conference, your non-conference games within, you know, stuff like that. But for at that time, we were independent, and uh, so you kind of had to take what you could get, you know, to yeah. play it. But one thing I really learned, and I still stick with this to this day, and, we're, you know, as we're talking, we're coming off of a loss to a, a team, you know, a, a really good team. And um, But I looked at it as, you know, I remember, I don't know if you remember this morning, but we, we, we played some teams where we win 115 to 35. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. We, you know, yeah. Those, uh-huh. those games I felt like did nothing for us. If nothing else, it, it kind of hurt us, you know. Yeah. So you, you get these huge wins where you win by 70 and 50 and 40, you know, and I felt like our kids aren't getting better because yeah. of this, you know. And so why I've done through my coaching career going forward, I try to make sure we play good quality teams in the non-conference. And maybe sometimes, sometimes maybe more than we can, you know, bit off more than we can chew. But I do feel like if you can control that locker room afterwards and, and still find the positives of playing a great team and making it close or whatever it may be. And I think your kids only can grow and get better because of that as compared to beating somebody by 70. I don't yeah. see nothing but false confidence that comes from those. Yeah. Well, you know, if you have one of those, you know, you're, it's going to be a little bit unavoidable. You know, you got to, you got to fill in yeah. 30 games or whatever. You're, you're going to, you know, if you're a good team, you're going to have one or two of those, but yeah, we did run through a stretch. I think it was a combination of we were, really really good and and the other teams were you know not as good you know and and you know when we had the couple of kids transfer in um we we you know we knew we were going to be pretty good the next year but then when those two came in that took it to a whole nother level that even we didn't anticipate you know what i mean yeah, and then you always hear, and then you know, you remember this too. Then you go undefeated through the regular season, thirty-two and zero, and um, people said and that was back when you could play thirty-two games. Yeah. So we're thirty-two and zero, and, and remember <laughs> how many people would always say, "Don't you think it'd been good for you guys to get a loss before you got into you know yeah. the national tournament?" Yeah. And it's like, you know, that that's kind of a difficult question. Yeah. It's like, well, which one? You really think? We, yeah, you really think we wanted to lose? I mean lose for the sake of just losing or you know yeah you know i don't people would always say well that would that hurt you when you got to the national tournament because you weren't in the really adverse situation although that very last game we played we went, our 32nd win was against wayne state and we had to make two free throws with no time on clock to win the game so yeah. that was you know that was a really difficult one you know you know you know and and that's you know you know kind of the the next thing that comes up here on the list of questions, you know, uh, the, the best team not to win a national championship at your level, um, which I think was that team. I mean, I, I still, I, and I'm not as in touch with it as I, as I once was, but I would find it hard to find a team that was that good, you know, at one point on that 12, 12 man roster, we ended up having eight all Americans at one time or another in their, in their careers. You know, I mean, find me, find me another school that can say that, you know, um, you know, but you know, that, that was, you know, still to this day, I mean, you know, you know, describe that team for, for people that are not as familiar with it or don't remember it. And, you know, just kind of what brought all of that stuff together, you know, and, and kind of what you thought was, you know. How, how we how you managed going through that journey and then 
you know, not one, but two crushing defeats in back-to-back years, you know, you know, you know, how, you know, kind of just go through that part of it. Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, not to, not to, not to kick, not to punch each other in the gut, but it's part of your story. You know what I mean? And it's part of my story too, you know? So, you know, let's just, let's just go through therapy for everybody here across America. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, because you talked about that and said that, you know, um, you know, 32, you're talking about 32 years of doing this at, at this at this level, you know, at the college level. And it's funny when you started saying that, it, the, you know, so many wins and losses that have come and gone, obviously, over these years. And But the ones that still stick to me is the ones you talked about, those two back-to-back years. You're right. Absolutely. Those two losses, especially the last one we had when we had the first time ever the national tournament here in Sioux City. And we have the number one team in the country. And by far, I agree with you 100%, by far, should have won it back-to-back years. And I don't think there's a doubt. I've never yet to see a team that's come across um, that hasn't won it. Like, those teams should have won it. And it was, yeah, to this day, the two most crushing losses in my career are none. And, um, you know, that was that was really tough. To, it, was, it was tough because... Those are really, really good teams. And, you know, we just, you know, you think about that last game when we played Mary Hart and Baylor um, in, here at Sioux City. And, and they, the last, we're up seven with 2.32 to go, and, and we lose by one in regulation. And um, I think if we win that game, we'd probably win the national championship. And, yeah. you know, um, I don't know. That was, I just think, Going through that was, you know, you, it's funny because the year before we won 37 straight wins and we lose one game. And when I reflect back upon it, I don't remember all those wins at all, hardly, but I do definitely remember that, that one loss. You know, oh, yeah. you know, that sticks with you. And that's what's crazy about our profession sometimes, us as coaches, is that, you know, <clears throat> I feel like a lot of us, and especially even at the, the pro level, higher college division one level, I think. A lot of times we sit there and we manage the game gets over with, and sometimes a win is just a relief. Yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's that way at the high school level. Like I, I, that's you know for for me it got to that point, you know, and where it was just like we won, and, and you you didn't enjoy it as much. You know, right. you know there there was there were times that there was not joy; it was relief that we won, and you know, if I get back into this, I'm going to enjoy the hell out of every win. I don't care if we're playing the the worst team in the United States of America. You know, I'm going to enjoy every single win, you know. Right. I think that's, and I think that's one thing that, you know, the, you know, it's really funny because what I took when you, when you were asking that question, I was thinking to reflect back. I don't. If, I don't always remember this, but um, it would have been that. Uh, I think it was our first. Remember the first time I ever went to the national tournament? I think in ninety four, ninety five. There, there's things I remember. Okay, so <laughs> do you remember Coach Coach Thale, That he was just got back into to yep. coaching that year. That was his first year, I believe. Yep. 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 That was and, the first um, year all three of us yeah. were together. Yep. Right, and we. Uh, we get to that. Remember, the game was over. We lost uh, to Western Oregon. Yep. And we're talking to the kids, and and parents were talking, and all that stuff. And 
there turning the lights off in the gym because I think we played the very last game of the of the night. Yeah, we and, might have. Yeah. And I turned and I said to you, I said, "Where's uh, where's Saley?" And you said, "Somebody pointed out, said he's still sitting. He was sitting in that chair that he sat in when we coached, still down there on the floor." So I walked down there and went down there and I said, "I said, what are you doing?" And he just looked at me and he said, "He goes." you know what, you don't really appreciate this. And I said, what do you mean I don't appreciate this? He goes, you've been doing this for too long that this, I'm just trying to soak it all in because this was one hell of a ride. This was a lot of fun Yeah. this season. And I'm just trying to look back, reflect, and not let that get away from me. And I looked at him and I thought, first, I was like, wow, you know, what a perspective because he's right. He was out of it for probably, what, five years? I don't remember how many, how many years he was out. And then getting back in and having that kind of ride, whereas I kind of took it, not saying I took it for granted, but, it, sure. you know, I didn't have that type of perspective. You mm-hmm. know, like, like, you, like you're talking about, like, right now, with you being out a little bit and you get back in, you're going to have a whole different perspective at it as being a person who's been in it for 32 straight years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And, you know, I think that, you know, that, that, next, that next year, even then, I mean, it was, it was too years of of growth where we made it to the national tournament and that was way unexpected um and then we had success there and then the next year we go undefeated and we knew we were going to be good but we had no idea we were going to be that good and then you got to the point where it was like oh my god we lost and we you didn't know how to handle it you know type of a thing i mean right you know and so how do you how do you work your way back from that from that crushing defeat you know and and, and for me and i you know yours is different you said you said the second year was harder i thought the first year was harder uh me personally just because we had beaten that dome team so badly and and maybe again kind of getting back to what if we'd only beat them by 15 would we have been sharper would we have been more ready to play? you know or something like that i mean and and so i know i know for me it took a while to recover and gain that confidence back and and i'm sure it was the same for you you know and you know how how, how do you how do you work your way through that stuff cuz you cuz if you do this long enough you're going to have those defeats that it's going to be hard to come back from you know yeah yeah okay. there you're right it's it's and, and I think the thing was, as you look back and reflect on that, it was like, you know, I think it was two straight years for us being number one in the country, you know, um, definitely. Well, that, that last year on 97, 98, we were from pole to pole. I think yeah. we were number one from the very first pole to the, till, till, you know, we lost in a national tournament. But um, I think that, you know, that was something unique and different because the first time we went to the national tournament, we were the Cinderella underdogs, you know, yeah. no pressure going into it. And then a couple of years later, we're dealing with all this pressure. And, you know, and I, and I look back and I go, you know, uh, in my coaching career, those things, uh, to this day, I still say that was the best team uh, I've ever had the opportunity to coach those back, back years. I mean, yeah. they were, I mean, you look at it, to this day, they have that, those two teams have so many national records from that, yeah. those two seasons. That are still there. Still there. Yeah, yeah. still going all these years later. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's what was this kind of, I think that's what kind of, you know, if you're going to talk to Coach Moni, Christy, when she took, came back and started coaching me, and she was one of those players from that team, you know, 
And one of the things that was important for her driving to get into the coaching career was she wanted to have the opportunity when she was coaching with me here at Briarcliff was to win one of those things. And we went to, she, her and me together went to uh, um, three of those Final Fours together. Yeah. And, you know, and every time we lost those, I always kind of looked at her and I thought, I just love for you. You know, you deserve, you were on those, that, those 94, 95 team, 97, 98, you know, the, those teams that should have won it. And now we get really close again. And I just so badly would love to have her to have that experience, to have that national championship, you know, yeah. because that would be like for all the kids that were there that year. Yeah. You know? uh, but, you know, the one thing you can't do is you can't go back in life and it is over. And so, you know, but you yep. learn from it. And, and, you know, that's the biggest thing is I think in our profession and just life, what we got to teach young people is, you know, bad stuff's going to happen, and then you got to be able to learn from it, wipe it clean like a dry erase mark board, and move on. Yep. All right. Um, that's uh, that's enough of the therapy session. Um, you can get off your couch now. Um, I'll, I'll send you a bill. All right? Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So uh, getting back to this. A wild desire. So, I know the story, but you, you are very well known for your your Johnny Cash uh, sideline attire, the full black here. Uh, where'd that all come from? <laughs> I don't, honestly, I want with 100%. I don't know exactly when, but I think we want some. I don't know. I wore all black. You get. I remember you. You guys give me some crap about wearing black. <laughs> um, but then we had. We won and started rolling. And I think you know it's one of those things where you kind of get superstitious about it. Okay, you know this is kind of you know. And then the other part is this is the God's honest truth. And, I, and people think I'm. You know, as I got older, I put a little more pounds on my body. Well, that's natural. So you know. Red somewhere where the black makes you look thin. So, um, I don't know. I, yeah. And the other part I always joke, because this is joking, but I always say it's going to be somebody's funeral. You know, we take it so serious as coaches, you know, and unfortunately, lately it's been my funeral more often than not. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of just the basically superstitious, yeah. you know, type of thing. I remember I switched it up a few years ago. Came in, wore all white against your coat sale. We're going to play Morningside. I went with all white. And <laughs> thought maybe I'll flip the script. Or maybe did you, did you look like one of the Bee Gees or something like that? <laughs> no. Was, no was, was, go, was the theme song Staying Alive that night? or No, I didn't go completely white. Like I was all white top. Okay. All, yeah. Okay. So um, then we got beat bad so i had you know right away i had to, instead of me thinking it was something else of course it had to be the, the all blacks so and went back to all black and i don't know yeah. now i just now you know honestly i collected so much in my wardrobe that I, that's all i really have when it comes to game time it's black 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 so i'd have to go and put a lot of money into a new wardrobe if i was going to change i i think you should go like retro like suspenders some night 
like back in the day. You know? Back in the days, yeah. You know? Yeah, that, yeah. Remember those days? I, I remember because I, I, I had to hook you on your suspenders a couple of times, and you got a little <laughs> upset with the officials. You know, it was it was like uh, those those uh, Warner Brothers cartoons where they take the little thing and they yank them from across the <laughs> yank them from across the thing. You know, so um, no, that's funny. I, I'm glad that uh, you know not only are you a basketball coach, but you are a, a a middle-aged supermodel as well. So yeah, yeah. that's, that's, that's good to hear. So, well, we're going to turn the page here a little bit. We're going to go with the Don Meyer quote of the day. Um, like our loyal listeners know about uh, approximately halfway through, uh, we throw out the Don Meyer quote of the day. So for today, and Mike, I think this, we've, we've had these conversations before. Um, the Don Meyer quote of the day is the worst day of coaching is better than the best day of doing anything else. Yep, I agree with that. Yep, I would too. I would too. So uh, that is the Don Meyer coach of the day, or Don Meyer quote of the day, excuse me. Um, so we're going to jump into some some X's and O's and some, some basketball, uh, real specific stuff here. Um, you're, you you like to get up and down, Mike. Like say, you know, you've you've coached teams that have scored a lot of points. You scored players that have scored a lot of points. Um, you want to start with uh, teaching transition offense, or you want to start talking about you know uh, defensive pressure? I'll leave it up to you. Well, but yeah, I'm, I'm, let's start with offense. That's good. All right, all right. Yeah. You know, how do you teach your transition offense? What do, what do, what are some things? What's your philosophy there? Um, you know, what do you do to, to implement that into your system? Well, um, you know, this kind of goes way back to when I started coaching with Don Kelly at, at Pies. Um, you know, this is 85, right? Yep. Um, so, you know, one thing that Don told me way back then was the very first day of practice, whatever it is that you really want your team to be, then put your cards on the table, you know? So if you're going to say you're going to be a running team, you know, which a lot of people are saying, we're going to run, we're going to run, we're going to run, you know, and then they go to that first practice and they do a little bit of running or whatever that. So I've made it established from day one. If we're going to be that type of team, very first, our very first um, practice, we're going to go and we're going to probably have two hours of up and down transitional you know, all different types of transition, you know, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's just doing three on two, two on one, or any of those types of things, cutthroat, but we're doing everything full court. And everything we're doing is, you know, going to be getting the ball out quick and transitioning up the court and just kind of laying the table down that this is what we're going to be and how we're going to do it and probably walk out of that first practice pretty leg-weary because um, it was a lot of running. You know, yeah. probably two and a half miles of running up and down the court. And, you know, the kids then understand, hey, if you want to be a running team, you got to pay a price. And it's going to, it's going to, you got to be in great, great shape. But it kind of sets a tone, I think, going forward that this is what we're going to do. And I usually try to do it for the first, you know, for sure the first two, three days where that's pretty much all we're going to do. And then we're going to maybe break, break it down to the nuts and bolts as far as, um, you know, then because we're basically going whole part back to whole as far as the teaching model. Mm-hmm. In, instead of sometimes, I think a lot of times coaches will just go the opposite of that. I feel like 
um, and I don't know this for sure because, you know, I'm not in a ton of people's practices, but it seems like a lot of people always want to go part, whole, part, you know, they mm-hmm. want to break down what they're going to do and kind of, and then they kind of put it together and then they come back and break it down. And, um, I kind of stole this a little bit from coach Dunlap when I was at Metro state, Dunlap was always huge on the teaching theory of, um, you know, showing a whole first, even though they don't know it for sure, but you're going to show this whole thing whole, and then we'll break it down, and then we're going to back it, and we're going to do a whole again. And I think that's a better teaching model, at least I've gone over my career to do it that way. Yeah, obviously you're going to have kids going, oh, you know, I'm not sure what you're doing. It's like, hang on, just do it this way right now. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll break mm-hmm. it down later, but let's, I want to show it to you, you know? Yeah. You just, you just think their minds grasp it overall better that way? Yeah, um, you know, and I'm not a smart enough man as, as Coach Dunlap was, and he had a, a definite theory. Um, he's, he researched it. He could give you all kinds of research on this model and this and that. And, um, I just thought it worked for him. Mm-hmm. I saw how, what he did, and, 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 you know, he was probably the master teacher of, of, that I've ever been around. Um, so I kind of thought, yeah, it works for him. It's got to work for us. So I, I, that's what I kind of implemented a lot of that. And so from day one, we're just going to work on transition, transition, transition. And so, you know, I think the biggest key to transition, you know, you remember this, Marty, back in the day when um, we were 37 and all that team and like that, we're probably the best. When somebody asked me the question in the media, said, what makes you separates your team from everybody else? Why are you guys so good? And honestly, I felt like those two teams were the best in the nation at trans transition from offense to defense and defense to offense. Like yeah. when that ball was going to the net, let's say they just scored on us. We were getting it out within not even a second. It was, it was, it was quick. Court. Yeah. 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 Boom, boom. And we're getting a layup at the other end. And mm-hmm. vice versa, if they scored on us. We were going to transition defense. We we're going to deny you get the ball in. And it was just did a great job of that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we really, you know, as you remember this, we repped it, repped it, repped it. Yeah. It was what we did. It was, yeah. in our, you know, something you can't get away from. I think it's a daily, daily occurrence of having to do it every single day, and you can't get away from it. If you're going to be a running team, you have to run every day. Now, the only days I'd probably say you wouldn't do it is, the, you know, the day before a game because you want to save your legs. But all the other practices, you better run. Make sure you're running every single day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, do you have like a, a pet drill? Like if you were to pick one drill to, to teach transition offense, what would it be? Um, all these years later, one of the drills that, and then we kind of changed it and morphed it into different things with it, but the cycle drill, you know, mm-hmm. the Loyola Marymount. Yep. Yep. Loyola Marymount cycle drill. Could you, you, could you explain that one to our listeners? Well, okay. So, um, just for, X and O's purposes, we'll say five takes the ball out. Um, one's your point guard. Then two's going to run your right lane. Three's going to run your left lane. Um, four's going to run right down the middle from rim to rim. And so <clears throat> just primary break, that's all you're doing. So what we do in the cycle drill is shot goes up. We start to drill by five making a shot. Grabs her, uh, the main shot, gets it out to one. One pushes ahead to two. And then comes back, kicks it back to one, and one shoots a three. Um, so there's many different ways you can do this. Um, you can just say, okay, you can do five reps. So one shoots it. Everybody goes to try to get offense rebound if they miss it, put it back in, take it out, transition a 
again, one, throw it ahead to two, two shoots it now, this next time down, next time down is three shoots it, next time down four shoots it, next time down five shoots it. So you did five reps, right? Yeah. And everybody's got a shot from each spot that you want them to do. Um, what we do, what I think is really interesting, fun one to do, it's a great conditioner, great mm-hmm. conditioner. It's the same thing, but the difference is you put on the clock how much time you want to put on. Let's say, you know, like in our case, we'll go a minute and five seconds. You got to go <clears throat> take it out. So you're going to push it ahead to one, uh, one to two. So one's got to, it's going to shoot it. Now, if one makes it, then you're taking it out and you come down and two's going to shoot it. But if one misses it, then you get to rebound, I'll let it go. One's going to shoot it on the other side. Until and one makes on it. Two. Until one until makes one it. Makes it. Yep. yep. And then you go until two makes it, and you go until three makes it, until four, until five. And we always say the five has to shoot a three to finish it. Mm-hmm. So five finishes as a trail of trail three at the top. So you, you know, see if you can do that in a minute five, or you can put whatever time you want to put up there. You know, yeah. we do our times a minute five. Um, why I put them in a five, I don't know, but you know, we've, what I've usually done is started that further, give them success and start let's say a minute 30. Okay. You guys did it. Now, next time we do, we're going to go minute 20. Next time we're going to cut it down. Yeah. So eventually, eventually get to wherever you think, you know, is it really a challenge, but the same token, you know, yeah, not not too easy. Gotcha, gotcha. So, on the flip side, flip side of that, um, and and you guys, you, that's what you guys run in 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 the game in competition. You know, that's not just that's not just a drill thing. That's what you're carrying that over in the competition. And somebody scores, yeah, we're we're getting yeah. it out and going. That's that's you know, just so our our listeners are are aware of that. That you know, that's not just okay. We're going to do all these reps, and then we're just running wherever we want to during competition this is what we're doing during competition as well right yeah absolutely yep it it means and it means that you have to be disciplined on main shots you know it means let's say the twos on the left side of the court shot goes up and you're boxing out they got a crisscross to get to your lane you know get to your lane you're not going to turn and just run your lane that sets your left side your job is to get to the right side you know so that's where I think sometimes you can transition better on main shots and then you can't on, you know, on mm-hmm. a defensive rebound, so to speak, just because, you know, your kids are a lot more disciplined to run their lane. Sometimes you get up on a defense rebound or a steal, you end up getting sometimes running two people running the same lane, you know? Yeah. So, um, I do think it teaches the kids, you know, uh, just spacing. Hey, I gotta get and discipline. Gotta get to my lane, turn on my jets, get going. Um, but that's, I know that seems really simple, but repping it a ton of times and get it, you know, where you got to make sure that the kid gets, we, we work on it daily as a five to one outlet, five to one outlet, five to one outlet, you know, getting it out quick. Um, because they're the ones who like the match for the fuse, you know? Yep. And if you don't, don't get it out quick, it's harder transition. Absolutely. Absolutely. So well, on the flip side of that, you know, your, your, your defensive, philosophy your full court defensive philosophy and i know that's changed over the years you know what you did in your first run at briar cliff is now different than uh what you're doing now um you know kind of where did that philosophical change come from and kind of explain you know your your key teaching points and and what you're trying to accomplish there well um 
you know, it's funny you said that because I looked over the years, you know, when I spent eight years coaching instant division two basketball and I could say we hardly pressed at all. In fact, I can't remember any games that we really, unless you're way down, you know, press to come back. But you know what, that philosophy never, never carried over division two. And I think a lot of it, you know, you've seen Gene Steimer that was at Doan and he went on to coach Division Two, and same thing with Cypher. So he's really good coaches that have great success at NEI, Preston, and running, go on to the next level, and they're not. Well, I think because, you know, there's better ball handlers mm-hmm. when you get to the next level. Um, you know, NEI, I think, is starting to get to that level where it was probably 10 years ago where an NCAA Division II was, you know, so we're starting to see nowadays better ball handling too. So um, it's harder and harder to press, but we, we still have that philosophy. I still keep with it, just different pressure points and, you know, whether we're going to come at you hard or whether we're going to soften up a little bit. Um, but I think you got to, I think you, within the pressing scheme, you better have soft pressure and hard pressure, you know, and if you don't have both, then I think if you're just a one-trick pony, it's really really easy to break eventually. Yeah. Yep. So to answer your question, as far as like, you know, <clears throat> what philosophy-wise is, uh, you know, I believe that, you know, my my belief has always been possession games. You know, the more possessions you can get, um, the, no matter what your shooting percentage was, you know, we're going to try to create steals. We're going to try to create offense through our defense mm-hmm. you know and as you know there's certain presses that we can run that is you know high risk and high reward both you know yep. oh yeah and, uh, but if you're impressed you're going to be able to be okay with that you know mm-hmm. I, I think what i see is a lot of times where there's even within our conference you see teams that um really press get after it i'm thinking like concordia yeah. Um, Drew does a great job. They come out and bring pressure, bring pressure. But that's they stick with that philosophy. They never waver from it. And then you got other programs where they may press you a little bit, but if you break it a couple times, they're going to go back to who they are, and that means they're going to put you half court and pick you up. And you know, um, I do think sometimes you have to be smart. You're right. You know, you got to say uncle. <laughs> they break you enough times, right? I mean, sure. we all have to do that. Yeah. But I, but I think as I. My my sense because I'm a pressing coach, so I'm gonna give you some kind of pressure. Now whether it's gonna be token pressure or great pressure, but um, that's kind of what we're gonna do, and everybody knows it. So you know, when, they expect when, that's pressure. When, when it comes down to it, your biggest thing is you want to control the tempo of the game. Yes, yes, absolutely, both ways. Yeah. Like you said, you know, offensively we're gonna push tempo, and I think if you're gonna push tempo that way, I think you almost gotta bring the pressure. Defensively, to keep the temple going where you want to go with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so kind of explain, you know, you know, without giving away too much, you know, you know, just how you teach, you know, what are some what's your teaching process when it, with implementing pressure? How do you get your kids to 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 accept that? Not accept, but you know, uh, embrace that style. Um, you know. What 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 are some some things that you do to teach that philosophy? Well, um, well, I think you know it comes back to what we talked about earlier. You know, it's a sell job to your team, and and we're a little bit different in the college aspect compared to high school in the sense that you know you can sometimes recruit to that. You know, say, hey, we need more team speed. Well, we're going to get you know this and this, you know, whatever. So, um, but I still, regardless, doesn't matter. Like. 
you have to get them to. I think here's a good example: is I'll use Concordia. Drew there at Concordia. One thing I've always respected and loved about their team is there's a no quit attitude, meaning that um, the championship type attitude. Obviously, they're national champions, but you can learn a lot by throwing a film on and watching them play. Is watch. I think when you've got a really good pressing team. Is just watch what happens when the ball gets ahead of the first layer of the press, you know, gets through the first wave. Watch what those kids behind do. And you watch Concordia. Those kids turn on their jets, and they're right back in. The, the, the whoosh action from behind, the catch-up speed mm-hmm. is awesome. Yeah. You know, it's like they're it, – flipping around, it's like this. They, we all know this as coaches. If I threw a ball ahead and you're – out there on offense, and you have a chance to get a breakaway layup, you're going to turn on your jets and go grab it because you know you're going to score. You're going to get a reward at the end. And it's like with the Concordia, when I watch them press, their reward is to catch up to the ball. <laughs> and I think they, whatever Drew does, um, how he does it, whatever, those kids do probably the best in the nation as far as that type of thing where they, they there's no quit. The ball gets ahead of you. They're, they're coming. They are, I mean, it's almost as scary when you break it what's coming from behind if you don't attack it aggressively. Because if you come at it soft, they're going to catch you from behind, back tip you, whatever it may be, you know. Yeah. So um, I think that, to me, that's when you know you got a great team, great pressing team, when you've got all five kids buying into, hey, the ball gets ahead, we're coming, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's the hardest thing to teach, honestly, Marty, when it comes to pressure, yeah. is – too many people have, we're human that when the ball gets in front of us it's that kind of quit attitude like oh, and they kind of jog into the play jog back you know and you know you got a special team you got teams that just come running from behind yeah. and <clears throat> I think that that's that's when you know you got something special yeah do you uh, you know you, you're kind of into the, the, the three quarter zone press yeah I haven't seen you play this year so I don't know exactly what you're doing this year but Last few years, it's been a little bit more three quarter court zone, uh, right. rotate and and trap. Kind of what all goes into that? Well, um, you know, we just kind of control it um, using the sideline as another defender. You know, mm-hmm. box men and try to get it less. Put it this way, you know, <laughs> the, as you become less athletic, which we have over the last few years. You know, when we talk about our really good teams, we had some really athletic. you're going to probably give up a couple mistakes and a couple, you know, 
layups. But if you're giving up more layups, then um, you get some off of steals. Then you might want to readjust and rethink about what you're doing, you know. Yeah. So um, that's why we have kind of multiple types types of things from that that standpoint. Like if they start breaking it this way, we can morph it to something different to cover up um, the mistakes that are going on. But we're still going to try to give you something, some kind of look. And maybe we might think you into thinking we're going to trap you, but we really aren't. You know, we're just keeping everything in front. But we're get the illusion because we've done it to you a few times that we're going to do this. And so. Mm-hmm. Now it kind of slows them down, thinking, oh, "Okay, we're gonna, I'm not going to go here with the ball because that's last time this is what they did." So you know, it's kind of one of those cat mouse games. Sure. Do you do uh, like some disadvantage stuff, like some, you know, three defenders against two offensive players, and you know, teaching the rotations that way? You know, that type yeah. of stuff. Um, yes and no. Um, yeah. Uh, the defense that that we've put together. Over the years, um, I'll give 100% credit that I, that I stole from Mike Dunlap when I was at Metro State. Um, is something that I learned when I was with him. And he he ran, and then I know Coach Sale was at Morningside. Maybe he was at Barksdale. I can't remember one of the two, but he uh, he flew out and spent some time with Coach Dunlap. And so Morningside kind of runs their version of of that defense. We run our version of that defense. But if you ever watch Morningside or Barry Club play over these years, you see kind of a matchup type of zone pressure, yeah. whether it's full court, three quarter, half court. But they're always going to fall back into this type yeah. of uh, matchup type thing. And um, so when you ask that question about disadvantage, advantage, we do a lot of those. Some, yeah, we do some of those. But we really do have, as much as this may sound strange, they really do have some strong rules of where they got to be and what they got to defend and how they got to defend it, mm-hmm. pressure points and stuff like that. So um, I know at times it doesn't look that way unless they control chaos, but there is some method to the madness. There is know? method to the madness, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sometimes what you get is, especially with the young kids, you're trying to break. <laughs> it's hard because you're trying to, I'm still trying to do it right now today with these new freshmen we got that, you know, you're trying to break some old habits because the habits they taught in high school is, you know, like support the ball. Let's say ball, you get beat off the dribble. They're going to try to collapse in with the ball. They're chasing the ball still and, or balls going in the middle and they all collapse in and try to, you know, we're teaching them totally different as far as, Hey, you got to stay out here and cover the kickouts, you know, mm-hmm. Little things like that are really hard for them to grasp because, you know, it's kind of counterproductive of what they ever were taught all the way up to this point. So um, sometimes our defense is, is uh, just the opposite of everything you can think of when it comes to man concepts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But sometimes like you like, said. Trying to change a habit. You know, what they say, take 21 days to change a habit. So. You know, we got some kids who still haven't quite got 21 practices in yet, so it's still trying to change a habit. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, two months, two mu- or two two minutes to teach a drill, two weeks to learn a drill, two months to master a drill. I think is that that's kind of the the rule of thumb with that stuff. So, you know, you're still like you said, you're still early into it, and you're still trying to teach it to new players, and you know, um, you know, they'll get it figured out. They'll get it yeah. figured out. So. Um, let's talk about some shooting here. What are some, uh, what are some things you do in practice to get a lot of shots up? What's kind of some of your pet, uh, shooting drills, you know, what, you know, um, have you, have you 
looked at it um, from the sense of like the, the, I guess it's commonly called Mori ball, you know, threes, layups and free throws, you know, has that evolved over time? Um, let's just, let's just kind of get into that. Let's, let's talk, let's talk shooting, you know, shot selection philosophy first. How about that? And then we'll get into, and then we'll get into some shooting drills. Well, first of all, philosophy wise, I know it's today's, today's day and age basketball, you know, it's become such a three game, you know, everybody wants to shoot the three and I get it from a perspective of that. Hey, if I can shoot 40%, which I, it's not a lot of teams can shoot 40% from three, but That's you know, really there, hard there's, there, there's games, you know, there's, but that means you're going to have to keep at 60% from the two point range in order to just to keep up. Mm-hmm. You know, and I get it. That's kind of the philosophy where this all comes from, right? I mean, yep. the 40, 60-40 rule, but I'm, I'm bigger on this. My big thing is about possessions, right? So we really track um, three possessions in a row. So we go everything by three possessions in a row. Like, you can't go three straight. So we keep over the course of the game how many um, three possessions in a row that you don't score or you do score. And if you track that, it's interesting because, you know, when you talk about runs, obviously that's where your runs come or don't come, you know, where you can get to your stops. And we track it both ways, defense and offense, right? Yep. But um, so to me, it's more important than, hey, I want to get some points out of one of those three possessions as compared to shoot up a three, miss it, come back down, shoot another three, miss it, come back down, shoot another three, miss it, whether you know, three empty possessions. in the, And I had my three possessions, let's say, and I hit a two at some point. Hell, I'm still up two nothing on you. Yeah, you, know? you can do that math. Yeah. yeah, I mean it doesn't take easy math when it comes to that. Yeah. Now, with that all being said, we played a game just last weekend against all that Nazarene. Now, all that Nazarene plays LMU basketball back, you know, the '90s LMU type style. Yeah. So they got a hundred shots over a hundred possessions against us. They shot sixty-nine, no, seventy-two threes against us. They put up 72 threes in one game. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But that's not unusual. That's not unusual. That's what they've been averaging pretty close to, I think, 69 threes in a game per game so far. Um, that's their philosophy. They're going to come down and just jack it. Uh, and some are really bad threes and some are really good threes. But, you know, they beat us. Um, they hit enough of them. Um, but I still, outside of that team, I, I believe strongly on the fact that if you look at it, I remember I read this even when um, the assistant coach there at Nebraska bas- men's basketball, the old uh, Doc Sadler. Oh, yeah. Men- oh, yeah, Doc. He, men- he mentioned the same thing, is that if you can control the middle and of the zone, you know, or middle of the paint and control that and make them just shoot threes and do that type of game, right? Yeah. That That's not enough to beat you. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you look at it statistically, I know he made it, mentioned on NCAA Division One basketball, but for me, when somebody the teams that played us, I'll say this all that Nazarene, I'll say the teams that have more traditionally, they had a really good shooting night, maybe make 15 threes against you. So <clears throat> that's not enough to beat you. You know, it, what's going to beat you is the offense rebounds, the putbacks, all the points in the paint, the other points. And if yeah. you can control that part of the game, and you have a really good chance of winning the game. Yeah. And um, so when you talk about philosophy, the shooting-wise, I'm big on, you know, taking some points 
and he asked me some of the drills that that we'd like to do. I mean, I think one that we do is called the crate shooting. I don't know if people call this or whatever, but I, I stole this like most drills. We all steal it, don't we? Oh, yeah. um, so you just put three people up in the top at half court, a line on the wing, one side, one on the other side, ball in the middle. And you just throw it to one side, and they just get past it to the other side, and they shoot a three. The other two now crash in. they got to touch the baseline while the ball's in the air. And they got to go, if they miss it, they got to get the rebound. But the ball can never touch the ground. Mm-hmm. So if it touches the ground, then it's a minus one. Um, and what we do is we play even one further past that. If the ball continues to bounce, for every bounce, it's a minus one. So if they hit the ground, you know, one of those care long rebounds, boom, they don't get to it. You better get to it, you know, because for every bounce, it's a minus one. Now, if you make it, it's a plus three. If you get the, off the rebound and catch it and put it back in, it's a plus one. So you set whatever schedule, whatever you want to say, hey, you got to get to whatever points in five minutes. So mm-hmm. we, we set it like 135 points. you got to score in five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's always just plus, minus, minus, plus, plus. And it's, uh, you know, really works on three-point shot skips. But bigger than that is the pursuit to go get off those rebounds and understand the urgency of you know, even when you don't think you can get it, you got to try to sell out, try to get a ball. You know? Yeah. Um, good conditioner, too. They only do it in half court, but a good conditioner. Yeah. So it might be a drill that everybody uses all the time, but it's something that we use and we kind of put our own little spin to it. Sure. Do you, on, on most of your shooting drills, is there, it's it's competitive. There's a clock or there's a goal you got to meet or that type of thing. You want to put pressure on your shooters in practice, don't you, Mike? Always. Always. We put, um, Time of score uh, on everything. I mean, it doesn't matter what drill we do. It's time of score on everything. There's, there's always a winner and always a loser. And you can put your punishment um, for the losing team is, you know, we're sprint sprints or whatever. Or sometimes we just say, hey, 10 push-ups. Everybody's got to do 10 push-ups really quick and then move on to the next drill. But um, it's always competitive. Everything we do is, is uh, try to make that environment as altered competitive as possible. Yeah. Uh, Anson Doris calls it the uh, competitive cauldron, I believe. You know, so you get you got to have that. And and if you, if if you're gonna have kids that to to have them make pressure shots in games, they gotta learn how to make pressure shots in practice first. You know, I mean, I think that's I think that's so important. You know, so yeah, you know, if you ever do a drill like we we do this called two minute threes, and it's funny because when the the clock's going down and I said they need two more threes. You know, and it's about 10 seconds. It's funny when you watch them shoot, and all everybody's just trying to really jack up. You know, they're just, they're over excited, over intense, overdoing it. And, you know, now they're not definitely not going to make it because they're not shooting right, right form and all that. Instead of taking the approach of, hey, I probably got about at least 10 seconds, I'm probably going to get four shots off, but let's make sure those four are, you make know, them count. count. Right. Compared to just jack it up and try to just throw 10 shots up, just throwing up to the rim. You know, yeah. in 10 seconds. So, yeah, you're right. It's, it's funny to see how, and then you get to see, because you're running everybody through that drill, you get to see what your kids are clutch shooters, which ones, you know, don't let the pressure get to them, and which ones you can see where the pressure definitely gets to them, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, give us give us two good out-of-bounds plays. Okay. Baseline out-of-bounds plays. Here's a really uh, simple one. Um 
again, I stole it. I don't know where I got it from, but um, one that's really, really simple. If you got a really good three-point shooter, okay, and they're playing man out of bounds, okay, baseline out of bounds, they're manning up. Most play, most teams will take the person who's the defender that's guarding the ball somewhere on the ball, but maybe a little off-centered in the paint, you know, to deter from going to the opposite block. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we can we take our our five or your big whatever and put them right there, put it everybody in a box set, right? So you're taking the person that you're five right in front of the ball that's taken on on baseline. And their job is really simple is to step and seal not only their player, but trying to seal the girl who's guarding the ball. And all they do is toss it to her. Mm-hmm. And the inbound pass or toss it to her. And then the person who just threw it in instantly runs that, that ball side corner and you just toss it, kick right back and shoot a three. Okay. And, it works every time because that middle girl has to, one who's guarding the, uh, the passer has to get through that girl who just caught it. And especially if you have a big, strong, physical kid, it just walls everything off. And, and if they switch it, you know, so the big that was on her tries to switch and cover the corner. Now you get a little on you and they just turns and scores and has a nice little put back. Yeah. Okay. And that is as simple as simple as possible. And everybody in America run it. Um, Maybe people already do run it, but we've, it's funny, we just ran it two days ago in our game the other day, and, um, I don't, and I have, we haven't used it for probably a couple of years, and we just took it out of the, you know, dusted out, and did it that day of the shoot around saying, hey, we're going to run this, because we could, we could tell by the way they're playing their out of bounds. Uh, defender was getting so much into the paint that we could just wall her off, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that was a really simple one. Okay. Um, Give us one more. Okay. Um, another one, just really simple. Again, because maybe I can explain it better on a phone like this to you. But putting um, three across on one opposite of the ball, and one your shooter on the ball side, and then just having her take those those three that are opposite. All they do is they try to walk and seal their own players like they're sealing the ball and that one girl that's a shooter on the ball side just comes and tries to loop around them and get a shot on the backside. now <clears throat> I know it seems really like oh that's pretty simple but then you do that enough times and let's say you don't get anything off but you keep doing it now you just make a quick whatever you want to make as your your call, call let's say top, top of your head whatever now she runs that same play and she's doing it but the difference is as she's going trying to loop it she hits picks that back the top girl's um, defender and that girl dives and everybody else is walling to the opposite direction you know kind of like kind of a screen screener action yeah right yeah. exactly yeah or you could you, or you could slip that gal right back have her come up and then absolutely slip it too you know so you got multiple options especially against a if they're going man on you on the out of bounds plays there. Yeah. Especially we all, it's, it's, a, it's just automatic. They, if they ever switch it, we're slipping them. You mm-hmm. know? So if you see a switch on that, going, Hey, I'm going to switch this. And they should be diving to the block. And, um, but yeah, there's a, as we all know, there's a, a thousand different. I think the biggest thing about out of bounds plays baseline out of bounds is, um, I don't know in high school for sure, but I know on college level, there's a lot of baseline out of bounds plays over the course of a of a game. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the slops. A lot of we've worked on a lot of a lot more um, sideline out of bounds this year than we ever have. 
because we get a lot of opportunities with deflections and so forth, you know? Yeah. Well, it's the, you know, they talk in football, you know, offense, defense, special teams. Out-of-bounds plays are the special teams of basketball. In my, yes. you know, and I've always believed that, especially the older I got, you know, and so we would spend more and more time on out-of-bounds plays, you know, just because you can, that's that's a way that if you're not as talented as, as the other team, you got to find something to make up that difference, and that's a way that you can do that, you know. And there's some teams, there's some, you're right, there are some teams that are really efficient, really good on their out-of-bounds plays. And then there's some that you can see that take, obviously take the approach and just basically we're going to run this, but get it in, and then we're going to run our stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, let's, let's flip it really quickly, if you don't mind. Okay. Let's flip it the other way. So I think I've always taken the approach on a sideline or a baseline out-of-bounds, the other approach on the defense end. I, I, you know, coming back to numbers, this is the time in the game where – Anytime they're taking it out, we have the numbers to our favor. So we have five defending four. And, you know, I'm big on, hey, sideline out of bounds, we're trying to get a five-second count. Baseline out of bounds, same thing. We're trying to get a five-second count or deflection or whatever because we've got more numbers here defending than you have, you know, that are trying to get open. So Mm -hmm. um, we spent a lot – the funny part is we spent a lot of time on trying to defend the baseline or the sideline because we know – that's a great opportunity, as you talk about special team. That's a great opportunity for us to get a steal or get a five second count, you know, to get a turnover. Mm-hmm. That's, I got probably more conservative defensively as time went on. Like, we, you know, unless there was, uh, you know, two seconds left on a sideline out of bounds play, you know, whether it's a quarter or half or whatever. We always played really soft. We're not going to give up something easy off of a sideline out of bounds play. You know, we're because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, most people are probably working on it as much as we are. And therefore, I'm not going to get burnt on that. I'm going to make them earn something. But I do see what you're saying where you're like, uh, let's turn it on them here. Let's turn them on. We like you said, we've got an extra defender. Let's see if we can get a tip. Let's see if we can get, you know, it's it's. It's driven by personnel too, and and what you have to work with as well. Um, but I see what you're saying. I see exactly what you're saying. So well, I think I think the big thing. I think the big thing with it is um, where we have had success in the past is, um, you know, we're mostly a ninety nine percent, ninety eight percent probably zone matchup type of team. So even in your baseline out of bounds plays, we're going to zone match you up. Mm-hmm. So, so we got smart coaches. We really do we've got smart coaches across the league, and so they're going to run this zone um, type of out of bounds play that you know it probably could give us fits. Let's say you know they they found a hole in the seam where they can get a shot or get a so where we get um, sometimes we get too smart for ourselves, but you know we get the call. We see what they're going to call. Or we can tell that they're going to run a something against the zone out of bounds. We give our kids a quick call and we jump to man. So uh-huh. this play is not going to work for sure against a a, a uh, man, a man type of out of bounds. You know what I mean? So we'll play cat and mouse with them a little bit and make it look like we're zoning up. And then as soon as the referee hands fall, boom, we jump into a straight man to man. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? It's sort oh, of yeah. like, but it stays with that philosophy. We're going to we're going to still deny you pressure you whatever. But now this play definitely won't work because we got everything covered. Yeah. In, in, so, 
I do enjoy. That's one part I do like. Um, you know, of course, there's many facets, but I, I do like that fact that you know sometimes as coaches, it gives you the coach. Even high school gives you the power to control that situation. You can go, okay, this is what he's. You can hear what the call is or see what they're going to do, and you can make a quick switch if you practice that a lot. You can get that. So your kids work it on. We do a lot of repping where we don't change it until the ball's actually handed to the player. You know, uh-huh. in the process of being handed to the player, from referee to player, boom, switch it now. Yeah. And I think you get a lot of success with that. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you know, you got to have, you know, from a high school perspective, you, you've got to have some really experienced kids and they got to know what they're doing and, and not only one through five, but one through eight or nine, so you can be pretty consistent with it too. You know, depending right. on on, right. on how deep your team is and that type of stuff. So, right. so, so I get it. I get it. You know. So, um, let's. Uh, one last thing. What the heck? What the heck? If if they've been with us this long, Mike, they'll stay with us for five more minutes. All right. <laughs> you know. Um, I really hope they're getting something out of this. I, I, I think, yeah, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. You know, this is this has been really, really good, as it always is when when we talk hoops. So, um, weight room stuff. We we, we haven't anybody talk uh, yet about weight room, and I know you're a workout guy. You've always you've always been that. You've always been very involved in um, athleticism and explosion. Uh, not you personally. I've seen you athletically, and you are the opposite of that. Um, oh, come on now. Uh, you go ahead. Again, continue to be a legend in your own mind there, Mike. So, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but uh, no, I know you work your team really hard when it comes to conditioning, uh, to weightlifting plyometrics, that type of stuff. Uh, what are two or three things? And, and again, the vast majority of our, of our audience is going to be high school coaches. Uh, what are the two or three uh, exercises or, or or explosive things that, that you do that you think would be pretty transferable for high school coaches to to bring to their weight rooms and, and things like that? Well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a really good question, Marty, because um, – We've really gotten spoiled over the years because now I get, we have full-time weight, you know, conditioning coaches. Uh-huh. And so, um, honestly, with 100% honesty, I, I kind of really turned over the probably the last five years for sure, 100% turned it over to his hands as far as, hey, this is what I want him to be. And here, you know, do it, develop it. Because he's, you know, we're fortunate that the kids go for in-season right now when we go two days two days a week as far as weights, but um, out of season, three days, and then in off, off season, like we're talking summer, we're going four days a week. And he really works on that explosive, all those type of things. And honestly, I wish I could give you something because he, I go in the weight room and watch him, whatever, he's got some of the most funky lifts and things they're doing that are the cutting edge of, of things that I, I couldn't probably describe to you here how it works but but it's it's good i mean he's we're very fortunate we have a guy that's really good at at, uh at knowing those things you remember when you and myself and coach sale used to kind of run our own conditioning yeah um go run the hill how many hills i don't know we'll run until i feel like it's enough you know yeah there's there's no scientific behind it It was just like we're gonna run you know this is what we're doing and now there's a lot more science science to it um and I'll be honest with you, Marty. The other part is I found over the year, years is that 
you know, <clears throat> just the kids from the perspective of, of, I look back at those teams that we had, how many hills we run and how well we did, what we put them through conditioning. There was no real rhyme or reason to it. It was just as what we felt like and we did as many as we felt we needed to do. And, yeah. you know, now there's like, okay, you did this many, you need to cut back. You guys are yeah. doing too much now. Yeah. You know, it's like oh, the whole thing I see is this whole recovery and overtraining. Yeah. Um, you remember that um, coach um, that you're on, um, Shane Warwick? Oh, yeah. Remember Shane used to say, I don't believe in burnout? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think what more than anything, I mean, yeah, we, you know, it, it was conditioning, but more than anything, we were just looking for toughness, you know. Yeah, you it's know. More of a, I think it's a more of a mental toughness, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's, yeah, everybody sits there and say, well, you know, you're overtraining, you're doing that. It's like, you, I don't know, and we are, maybe we aren't, but the, tough, the thing is, are you tough enough to, like you said, you know, you're mentally tough to try to push yourself through it, push yourself through a wall. Yeah. And see if once you break through, as we all know, who've done like, you know, I did one marathon in my life and I'll never do another one. But I can tell you this, that, you know, you, when you think you're tired, you kind of get yourself through that wall and you're, okay, I'm good. You know, you yeah. find out that you really weren't that as bad as it was, you know. So it's that mental toughness, I think, that you, you hit you spot on with it when you said that. That's so true. It's, it's not, not as much sometimes a physical. It's just can you be mentally tough? Yeah. Do you think kids are mentally tougher today? No. 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 And no. No. And I would say that that's probably the downfall of uh, AAU basketball. Okay. Why do you um, say that? Well, because – well, here's the thing about it. Think about it. You know, when you talk about it, kids are going to play AAU basketball. Yeah. And so their mom and dad's um, paying money for them to go play. Yep. Right? Yep. So they're paying this coach. Well, you think that coach, AAU coach, is going to be that demanding on them um, and going to push them or whatever. No, not really, because they can only go so far because, you know, they don't want this kid to leave their team and, you know, go to a different team or, you know, their parents are paying all this money for them to be on this team anyways. And so, you know, the, as far as making them better, what do they do? They just, all they do is play games. Yeah. And, you know, it's just games. There's no skill works, no skill development. Over in Europe, you have, they have a rural, rule that you have to have, I think it is three practices or four practices for every game you're going to play on the weekend. I think it's at least four. I, I, I think I think it's four. Think it's four. The num- that number sounds right. Yeah. So you think about us in America, we do a complete opposite. We'll play five or six, maybe sometimes eight games on a weekend mm-hmm. and have one practice during the week. Yeah. And so our kids are never getting better. So part of that, when you come back to a mental toughness, how do you get mentally tough? You know, you're just playing games. Yeah. And you never, you never working on, and you don't have somebody that's pushing you as a coach or somebody that's going to get after you, try to you know, de- demand you to get better, and you know, critique your play. So, you know, if you're going to be critiqued, you got to be able to take that criticism. And I think that's a hard part for young people right now is to understand that hey, I I can love you to death, and I still love you, but I'm going to I'm going to critique your play, and I'm going to make sure you're going to be the best player you can be. And sometimes, as we already talked before, we're going to challenge you in practice. We're going to challenge you mentally. You know, pressure free throws, pressure shots, pressure this, pressure that. Yeah. 
And we're not trying to set you up for failure. We're just trying to get you, hey, part of what we do, all of us, high school coaches, myself, college coaches, we're trying to set you up for life. Yeah. And, you know, how are you going to deal when adverse situations come across in your life? Are you going to just run and hide underneath the sheets? You know, or are you going to stand up and fight? Because that's what we have to do, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the part I think is really starting to mess with this generation of kids is that, hey, it is okay to fail, you know? Yeah. And, but you're going to, but you're going to fight through it. But also, I think when you come back to the AU, since you got my, my AU soapbox here, is that, you know, <laughs> climb on. The, well, the thing about that really makes me mad too is the kids can get conditioned into losing. You know, you can play these AU games. You know, yes, I you think that's. Lose. Spot lose, on. Lose, lose. Yeah, and you know, what do you get out of it? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing but learn how to lose, and or or let's say you take the other side, you win all the time, and you win, 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 and you know you get taste the diminish of winning games. You get to high school, it's like, oh well, we won all the time when I was at AU. It's no big deal, you know. It's just there's they kind of they kind of just you're overdone games to the point where the kids don't. And with me growing up, we didn't have AU, so when we played those high school games or played. Junior high games; those are the only games you ever got to play. So they meant everything, you know. Yeah. Now kids are like, oh, I can go play AU and have all these games. And so I talked to you know me as a college coach. I talked to a lot of high school kids, and it's funny. A lot of these high school kids really don't like playing on their high school team and love playing on their AAU team. And that's what, sad. Why is that? That's sad. Just because. Because they'll say, you know, well, this for example, they're let's say they're at a certain, certain high school and they're. They're not going to make state. They're not that great. She's a good player, but she's not, you know, they're not, their team probably isn't going to have the team, great team success. Okay. But she plays on this really high level AAU team, and they're kick button, they kick, and they win games and all this and that. And I just love being, well, because they're winning games, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it's like <laughs> you're, you're forgetting the whole purpose of high school basketball, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's sad. I, hate, I always hate that when I hear a kid say that they they wish they could play AU nonstop. In fact, there's a kid right now that just talked to Sis Paul. She doesn't even play high school this year as a senior. She's not playing high school basketball. She's going to play AU full time all the way through even the winter now. Wow. Do you, does, does that does that make you does that make you not want to recruit that kid? Yeah. Not 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 necessarily the kid. That's I mean that's that's a that's the exception to the rule at least for right now. But the kid that says I like my AAU team more than my high school team because of the very reasons you laid out. You know, this is that th- that's the type of kid you're going to probably go. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, puts up a red flag for sure. Uh-huh. For sure, you know, definitely puts a you know you know Marty because you were here at our the NAI level. You also understand that sometimes us at our level, um, even though sometimes when there's a red flag, we may still have to take that kid hoping that we can change that red flag and make it into a green flag. Yeah. Um, because we just might need that, you know, just, you know how it is. Because well, we're not, we're not division one. We're not into division two. We, you can be picky, but you can't get overly picky because there's only X amount of players out there that are, you know, difference makers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, and it's, it's a calculated risk. It know? is. It is. It's a calculated risk, but if I was at Division One or you know higher levels, where you'd be a lot, lot more, 
you know, picky with what you're doing, then yeah, there's, but there, even at this level, I'll, I'll take that back. Let me backtrack a little bit. There are some kids that we have definitely taken a pass on because we know the character of the person, not, not, we know that the player herself is really good, but mm-hmm. the character, no way. Not mm-hmm. when we have a really good culture of good kids, we don't want to bring in somebody that's going to disrupt that culture. How much, how much does your typical high school coach play in your evaluation of your kids that you're recruiting? Um, I would say um, a, a huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, when I say that, it's like, okay, so a lot of times, like a lot of us in say Division One, Division Two, all the different levels, uh, I think sometimes when we get the opportunity to really get a window of maybe the first time we get to see this player play, maybe at an AAU event in the summer, right? Yeah. And now, what, one of the big things for us, or for, I think, I don't know about that, I can't speak for everybody, but is when you get an opportunity to then go watch him play some high school or, and then talk to the high school coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that really helps as far as, like, when you talk about the character. Um, I'll give you a quick, quick example. We had a kid that just this fall that or this summer that we were recruiting. And um, and when we got word, talking to, you know, not the AAU coach, but talking to the, the high school coach. And bigger than that, not just the high school coach, it was big to me, the biggest part was when I talked to the surrounding high school coach, the ones that were in the conference with that player. Mm-hmm. That's when it was like, oh, okay, we don't want to be part of this. Yeah. Because then you start hearing what they talk about as far as the character of the person or whatever now if you were to listen to the AAU coach who's trying to sell that kid and trying to get him you know to college you know you've been sold on hey this kid's this and that and truth is the people who really know him that grew up in the towns or played up against him all their whole career those coaches are such valuable input as far as the character of a person that mm-hmm. I think is really important as I've gotten forward with this in my career that part has is a huge, huge part for me. I, I'd rather have a kid that's less talented but a great character than a kid that's great talent and terrible character. Yeah, that was actually going to be my follow up question. Do you, you know, you're gonna you're gonna get the honest answer from the high school coach because Absolutely. they're not they're not gonna they're not selling them. Uh, Absolutely, you know, selling uh, their their talents and stuff like that, and trying to get this kid the scholarship. They're 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 trying to do. They're, they're going to be honest with you, you know. And you know as well as I do, Marty, that there's there's certain high school coaches across this region, in this area, whether it's Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa, that you, me personally, I know that have had personal relationships, you know, known well over these years that I can really trust. Yeah. And then there's some that you don't – then there's been somewhere in the past where we recruited their other players – you know, I don't trust. And so a lot of times in those situations, I may ask the opposing conference teams to get a more of an honest answer about what this person's really like. You know? Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, you, you got to – what the Bo Schembechler said, you know, and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing here, you get the – you know, if, if, we, if we miss out on the right kid and they go to somebody else, they're going to beat me once a year. If I bring in the wrong kid, that kid's going to beat me every day of the year. Yes, that's a very good quote. That is so true. Yeah, and I and I think that's and it, and I think that's absolutely the truth with it with it and that you and I think as coaches, you know, we 
we know we need talent. We know we need players that can put the ball in the basket and make plays and all this other stuff. Um, but I, I, I think the two most important things that you that you want out of your players is coachable kids who are appreciative of you trying to coach them. You know? Yeah, and, I, and Marty, and I, I know that a lot of high school coaches listen to this podcast, and I would say to the high school coaches out here listening, if, there's, if they're still listening to you and me at this point. It's only been an um, hour and a half. They're fine. <laughs> I would say that what you need to do is be honest with the college coaches and mm-hmm. be 100% honest because we, as coaches, we're not – we. I, I can speak for probably all of us. Um, when I'm talking about the college coaches, is that we want honest honesty. We want, hey, tell me like it really is. Don't tell me like how you know you. It may be a situation where uh, high school coaches. I don't know. I'm. I remember this is a good example. This high school coach that I knew um, was selling us on his player, and it was because he was really close to mom and dad. Or, and knew the player was not the person that he was describing to us, and which he later told me um, many years later that apologized, whatever. But but we're looking for honesty. We're not looking for trying to sell us on a bill of goods that you know, hey, you know, she's this or that, and she's none of that, you know, because it's like anything. Then it's really hard to go back and trust that coach in the recruiting process and get their opinion because last time this is, Hey, this kid's a hardworking kid. Da, 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 da. They get in your program. They're the laziest person you've ever had. You know? Yeah. And then you go, what is hard working in that kid's, that person's program? You know, yeah. you no. see what I'm saying? No, I think no, that, yeah. that's, that's important that high school coaches have honesty with, with people. Because again, I think as part of you as the people that are listening right now is, it's your integrity. It's mm-hmm. who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can't put a value on integrity. There's no, there's no dollar sign. There's no, um, there, there's, there's just not that that you. I always use the phrase: you have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror every morning. You know, yeah, yeah. and and you know, after doing it for 24 years, I've got no problems looking at myself in the mirror, and, and you know, no shortcuts, no real regrets. You know, I mean, regrets in the sense of I wish we would have ran this play instead of that play. But right. the, the overall scheme of things, I can look at myself in the mirror every day and say I really did things the right way, and I felt like I really did things the right way. And and I think that's the way you have to handle all of your relationships. You know, right? You know, I think that's vitally important. So I don't that's know who you are. Oh well, I don't know. I don't know. You know, that's the second therapy session there. So you're really running up the bills here. You're really running up the bills. So, oh, I'm going to have to check out like the AP psychology book from our, from our department here. So, uh, so Mike, this was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, thank you so much for everything you've done for me. Um, love you to death. And, uh, you know, thanks so much for, uh, coming on here today. It, it really means the world to me. And, and I know a lot of coaches are going to get a lot of really, really good things out of the stuff that we talked about today. Um, you know, they're going to have to listen to it in like three or four uh, segments here. Like they, they might have to take an intermission, like in Gone with the Wind or something like that. So, but, you know, well, that's all right. As long as, as, long as, we, as long as our podcast went a little bit longer than Coach Tiberti's or Coach, or Coach Kelly's wins, then I'm good. 
it, it, it did go longer. It did go longer. It is the. It is now officially the second longest podcast in the history of a pen and a napkin. Uh, so you have done that. And then you know what? After a couple of the games that I coached with you, uh, this podcast is still only half as long as a couple of your post-game talks. So... <laughs> so true yeah you know i, I literally I, I think i could have celebrated multiple birthdays in, a, in, in between a couple of those along the way but. <laughs> uh, Marty, you, cracked me up. Uh, uh, you know i've got problems mike you know that so but hold on hold on to the line here so uh hey thanks again to coach power uh we want to thank cosac chiropractic for again sponsoring the podcast if you need anything, call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at 402-964-0300. Follow us on the Twitter. Mike, have you followed us on a pen and a napkin yet? Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Uh, download, rate, and review, and email us at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Uh, folks, we want to thank you for listening to this. This was a this was a great podcast. Had a lot of fun with it. Um, you know, Mike's one of the best there is. Uh, so coaches hope you get a lot out of it and remember to continue to hone your craft one day at a time